Okay, 2 Timothy 4. We'll be starting our last chapter of 2 Timothy. Chapter 4, we're going to be starting in verse 1. So we have this week where we're going to do verses 1 through 5, and then next week we're going to, uh, we're going to have a lot of verses, but we're going to have one major point through uh, all those verses to bring uh, our time in Second Timothy to a close. And what I'll probably do next week is use that time to recap just kind of the main takeaways from the book. Um, namely, this life of ministry that Timothy is called to, but as we will see this morning, it is applicable to us as well. So let me, let me read the passage for us, and then I'll pray, and we will uh, get started. Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away from their ear turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober-minded in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning uh, that this would be a fruitful time together, Lord. Use uh, this morning and use your word, Lord, to uh, proclaim your truth. My desire, God, is to just be a messenger of that truth, but I know that the power does not rest in my words or in my abilities to speak or teach or preach, it really it rests all in you, Lord. The only way that dead hearts come alive is because you call them out of darkness, Lord. And we, as your children, get the privilege, the responsibility, but the privilege to be ministers of the gospel to each other and to a lost world, Lord. And I pray that going through our passage this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, and if we have become uh, sleepy, Lord, in some of these areas, that you would wake us up to the joyful ministry that you have called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, Paul begins this passage, I'm going to actually jump right past the first few words here. But he jumps into um, this idea that God will judge. We're going to get into everything else in just a second. But he says, um, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing or at his appearing. And so one of the things that we have to understand before we can even get into the rest of this passage is... Paul is solemnly charging Timothy. He's giving him a charge. He's, he, you're going to see that there's going to be this list of imperatives that Paul gives to Timothy. And he says that I'm, I'm giving you these imperatives in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. 
one of the things I wanted us to start with this morning is before we can get into anything else about ministering the gospel, is we have to start at the, uh, the right foundation, which is that we work unto an audience of one. In the end, it's not me who's going to judge you on how you lived your life. It's not going to be Pastor Keith. It's not going to be Ralph. It's not going to be your parents or your your loved ones. In the end, there is one judge. There is one weight and measure that matters, and that is the Lord. Um, Now, sometimes we tend to think, like, like people then, yeah, the, only the Lord can judge me. And to an extent, eternally, that's, that's true. We have been called as Christians now to make judgments, to be able to judge the fruit in people's lives. But in the end, it is going to be only God who can judge you. And that shouldn't necessarily be a relief. Because... Someone like me, I can only judge you on a horizontal level, right? I I can only really compare you to myself or maybe other people, right? That's the only kind of comparison that, that I can genuinely make. In the end, though, when we stand before the Lord, we stand before a holy and righteous judge. Like I said earlier, his weights and his measures are perfect. And he does not grade on a curve. So when we think of God as judge, it should not necessarily be a a relief in the sense that it allows us to just do what we want, whatever we want, because we think God is a soft judge. No, he's a righteous judge. And so what we're going to see this morning is that we are called to live for an audience of one, um, but that reality really is in the sense that God has called each and every one of us to be ministers, faithful and joyful ministers of the gospel. And he has placed us in unique areas to be ministers of that gospel. He has placed us in unique areas to be disciples, of others and to be disciples and uh, be taught by others. When I think of that, I think of Paul as a tent maker. I mean, imagine all the conversations that Paul had throughout the day. Most of his day was spent with his sleeves rolled up, but yet he was a minister of the gospel. When I was a freshman in college, I saw a book on my mom's shelf, and it was called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. And it changed my life. I only read the first couple chapters, and that's really all I needed to read for my perspective to be radically changed. Um, I stole the book. I still have the book, so I don't know (laughs) how much has changed, but uh, enough was changed that it was really the first time that it finally clicked in my, like in my life that I had been living for myself and the things that I do for myself, the, the living for myself is really, it's just a waste. 
It's burnt up. It doesn't really have any significant eternal value. The only thing that lasts is what is done for the Lord. And so my joy, as the book describes, John Piper, if you don't know, he's all about having joy. He's very much about enjoying the Lord. But my joy needs to come from a life dedicated to working all things unto the Lord. So yes, ultimately we will not answer to anyone but God. But he looks at the heart. He weighs the heart. And he sees, what have you done for me? What have you done in faithfulness and joy for me? And what have you done for yourself? And he, like I said, his weights and measures are perfect. He knows exactly what that is. We cannot hide our hearts our minds, anything from the Lord. Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul understands this is who he's going to answer to in the end. And so with that in mind, he gives this charge to Timothy. And we, like Paul, need to have this mind among ourselves. that we would recognize that in the, at the end of our lives, when we are appointed to die, we will face the Lord, and he will ask us to give an account of our lives. Now, if we're saved, right, we're, we, we don't face a judgment that is going to be met with God's wrath. We don't face a judgment where we're in danger of hell if we're saved. But it doesn't mean that we don't face God it doesn't mean that we don't give an account. When Paul talks about us giving an account, even for every word that we speak, he's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. And so God wants us, if there's nothing else that you take away from this morning, it's that God wants you, his desire for you, is that you would be a faithful and joyful minister of the gospel for him. That's, that's really, that's the charge. The only way you can, um, the only way Timothy could live out this charge that Paul gives is if he does it in faithfulness and in joy. So that leads us to the rest of our passage, which I have um, set up, if we can move to the next slide here. It is a chiasm from the Greek letter key. Um, basically, I love this. I'm so excited about this, and I just hope that I explain it well. But basically, you have a pattern in Paul's writing where what he writes in verse 1 correlates to what he kind of finishes his thoughts with in verse 5. And so what it is, is it's, it's parallelism. It's, it's like a, it's a parallelism where the variant is down here, and it's in reverse order. So you'll see as I go along. It only works as, exa- as examples, but... Um, the reason I bring this up is because that's how we're going to go through this passage this morning. A and A are going to be related together, B and B, and, and, and so on. But this is what Paul says. He says, Timothy, I, I, I charge you, right, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, I charge you, and then at the end, at the end of verse 5, he says, to fulfill your ministry, 
Right? So the charge, ultimately, all these things consist of the charge that he's giving to Timothy. And the reality is, if you do these things, you are fulfilling your ministry. So ultimately, the charge to Timothy is, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill the ministry that God has given you. And that's the charge to each and every one of us. Timothy was given an extremely challenging ministry. He was a minister of the gospel in a difficult time. There's persecution. There's a false teaching. But what we're going to see listed in this, in this structure here is that even though it's directly applied to Timothy's ministry, there's a lot in this list that applies to us as well. Even if we are not in vocational ministry, even if you have no plans of being a pastor or an elder um, or a, a, you know, a traveling missionary, even if you have no plans of, of, of doing a, any of those things, the first thing I would say is submit those plans to God anyway. But beside that, you have still been called to be a minister of the gospel. And so this charge that Paul gives to Timothy applies in many ways to us as well. So that's A. Fulfill your ministry. That's your charge. B. Verses 4, a, 2a, sorry, chapter 4, verse 2a is preach the word. And then it correlates with uh, verse 5c, which is do the work of an evangelist. So Timothy is charged to preach the word of God and to be an evangelist. Now this word for preach here is, is, a, is a proclamation, it's a herald, it, and it's also an imperative. It's, it's keruzon. You're, you're an, a herald. You are called to be a herald of the good news, of the word of God, of the gospel. Now, for Timothy, this mainly would have been the Old Testament. Right? The New Testament canon hadn't been completed yet. They didn't have these nifty Bibles like we have today. But they did have the Old Testament completed. And they did, at this point, have... Um, some gospels being passed around. Some of Paul's letters, obviously, at this point, are already being passed around as well. And they understood, as we, as Peter tells us in his letters, these are already understood as Scripture, as God breathed as well. This idea of proclaiming the Word of God does not necessarily have to be from the pulpit. It can be to large groups, but it can also be to smaller gatherings, and it can even be one-on-one. When you are one-on-one with somebody, and you are telling them about the truth of God's word, you are being a herald of of the word of God. You are being a proclaimer of the gospel. But the point is that it has to be done. right? This is what Paul is getting at with Timothy. It has to be done. It cannot be ignored. Now, especially for someone like uh, in a ministry like Timothy. But this takes us back to what Paul says just a few verses earlier of what this God-breathed Scripture does, and namely, it equips us for life and godliness. It is the word of God that changes the hearts of man. My words cannot change your heart. Only God's word can change your heart. I had something like this recently in a conversation where uh, a guy asked me, before I was about to teach, he said, well, have you struggled with addiction? Have you struggled with uh, a background similar to mine? And the reality is, it doesn't matter. 
I'm not here to give you a motivational speech. I'm not here to tell you, here's how I got out of this bad way in my life, and you can too. Those are, that, that's, that's self-help stuff. That's, that doesn't matter. Even if I come from a very different background than you, I'm appealing to the authority of God's word. I'm not appealing to my authority. And so if God is speaking, then we all best listen. God's word is not subjected to our culture. It's not subjected to our backgrounds or our experiences. God's word transcends all of that. In fact, we even see this as Paul goes to these pagan cities. And what does he do? He brings the word of God, and it's the word of God that converts people. It's because the word of God cuts to the heart in ways that nothing else can. Right? And those of us sitting here that are saved this morning, we know that. We know the experience. We know the conviction. We know the feeling of when God's word pierces the heart. Where it clicks, right? This is historically also why, and traditionally, why the church has, usually has so many readings in a service. A lot of times you'll see, especially the liturgical services, they'll have a reading from the Psalms, a reading from an Old Testament narrative, uh, a reading from a passage from the Gospel, and then the main teaching that they read from each week. And the reason they would do this is so that it, you would be exposed to all these different areas of Scripture, that your mind and your heart would be exposed to them, that God would be speaking in these times. This is also why we as a church teach with expository preaching. We go into the Word of God. We let the Word of God determine what we are going to preach next. So when we finish this, 2 Timothy, we finish up Matthew, and then we go into James. And James is going to be teaching us. It's the Word of God that's going to be the foundation that we build on. It's not just topics, and don't get me wrong, sometimes there are times for topics, and that, that, that can be fine, but overall, we need to be going back to the Word of God and letting that context build and, and, and teach and train our hearts. And so we tend to think of preaching and evangelism as like these church offices, or uh, especially for evangelism, that's the call of the extrovert not necessarily people who don't like being around others or don't want to teach in public, but the reality is each of us have a responsibility to be proclaiming the Word of God publicly. That's why you are called an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador speaks the Word of the King in a foreign land. So you've got to speak. Right? You've you got to be doing it. You are to speak his words. You are to disciple others. You are to be discipled so that you can be trained to do these things. But we must let the word of God do the work. It has to be the word of God that does the work. This is why in, in a lot of times I've actually tried to pull back. I've seen in my own life ways that I've, I've worked too hard 
with my words and with my ideas when it comes to, to counseling others or discipling or even when it comes to preaching or even when it comes to evangelizing. And I can tell, oh, the, you know what? Because by the end of it, I recognize these are my words. There's no power in it. There's, no, there's really no confidence in it either. That's too much about me, right? So in each area of ministry in our lives, we need to let, be letting Scripture do the majority of the talking. If you're going to be a faithful and joyful minister of the gospel, you need to let the Word of God do the talking, right? So then this takes us into C, which is be ready in season and out of season, and be sober-minded, endure suffering. So really what Paul's saying here is Timothy needs to be consistent and ready. Okay, we, we, we as ministers of the gospel, we need to be consistent, we need to be ready. Now this reminds me of 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter says uh, that we need to always be ready to uh, defend the hope, give a defense of the hope that lives within us. So really what that means is you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. What do you believe? And then why? Is it blind faith? Is it just evidence? So we need to know the gospel, right? We need to know the word of God. I would say it's good to know the foundations of, of the, the creeds of our faith, the orthodox creeds. Be learning about doctrine and theology. I know those tend to kind of be scary words sometimes, but learning about doctrine and theology. Why? Why, why would this all be so important? So that we're not knocked off our horse when someone says something about the Christian faith that we're not ready for. When we build on a foundation of the Word of God, when we know what we believe and why we believe it, then we are more prepared and ready to be ministers of the gospel when we face opposition to that. And we will face opposition to that. And the easy response is to just say, well, you know, they just don't get it. And maybe they just won't ever get it. But the faithful minister of the Word of God needs to be steeped in it and a student of it. We talked about this last week. We need to be studying it. We need to know these things so that when people come in opposition, we can give a defense of the hope that lives within us. But I see so many, I mean, you, you, if, you, if you spend any time even on social media, and you have a Christian video, or if you ever watch a sermon on YouTube, and then if you ever venture into the uh, comment section, which I don't necessarily recommend doing, but if by chance you do, you will see a lot of foolish statements of people who have not done their work of studying the Word of God. And you will see a lot of people will say things like, well, I used to be a Christian until I learned this or learned that. 
So many people have had their faith shaken because they hear something that is in opposition to what they have been told or what they think they believe, but they don't know why they believe it. And so they don't know what to say. They don't know how to deal with that. And so you have people that then go, well, I guess it's all a lie. But we, just as Timothy, we need to be ready for that. Same thing with, with Peter. When he's writing, they'll always be, def- uh, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that's within you. He's not writing to just, you know, scholars and, you know, professional apologists. He's writing to everyone in the church. You need to be ready. You need to be ready. I need to be ready. And that takes discipline. That takes work. That's why Paul says, be sober-minded. Sober-minded isn't just don't drink a lot. Sober-minded is actually a disciplined mindset. It's, it's you are, you're focused and you're eagerly engaged in the work that's set before you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are you eager, joyfully desiring, hungering and thirsting for the ministry that God has called you to? For this walking in righteousness? So you have to have this desire to be focused. We have to be determined. We have to be disciplined. We cannot be wasting our time on worldly things. But we have to be eager to know what we believe and why we believe it. And then Paul says um, that Timothy also needs to be ready to endure suffering. And that brought me to another beatitude, which is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. See, this means that you also have to be ready, not just to defend the faith, but in this process of ministering the gospel to a fallen world, you have to be ready to endure the suffering that's going to come with that. 